and offer up our lives to be vessels of God's grace. That's what you're saying. And offer up our lives to be the vessels of God's grace. That's what we're saying. God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace to each of you from him. And I pray from one another. God's grace and mercy and peace from him. And I pray from one another. The funeral was two days ago. Norman was his name. 89 years of age, veteran of Korea. And as I met with his daughter and this man's wife, I asked them what it was like, him in the military. She said we had been married for a year and a half, and he was sent overseas. And I said how difficult that must have been. A young bride, a year and a half married, And then he's overseas for two years before she sees him again. What prompted such things from those in the military? What prompted such things, Korea, World War II, Vietnam, Desert Storm, and the list goes on and on. What prompted such things? Two words. One word is obedience. He had orders to follow And the other word is sacrifice. Those two things on a veteran's day, don't you think? Obedience and sacrifice. And if indeed our theme be what it is, reach out with purpose. For God's kingdom, reach out into the deep waters with the purpose of serving God's kingdom. Are not those the two significant words that we should use. One word, obedience. The other word, sacrifice. The town is called Rimini. It is located in northern Italy. Leading into the town, there is an ancient moss-covered bridge. It still stands after all of these centuries. It spans a tiny stream of water. But that stream is called a river. It's one of the most famous rivers in mankind's history. It's called the Rubicon River. And in the year 49 BC, there is a young general, his name is Julius Caesar. He reigns in his prancing horses before the waters of that stream. The Roman Senate has just ordered him to disband his legions and surrender and to come back for his punishment. And as he stands there on the banks of the Rubicon River, he pauses for a long, long time. And then he turns to his soldiers behind him. And he says to them, if we not pass this river immediately, it will be the beginning of all misfortune. The die is cast and we must move forward. And with those few words, he drove his chariot across the Rubicon River. And within seconds, he's on Italy's side. He was ready for battle. He was ready for his destiny. A fairly young monk 
His name Martin Luther. He stands in front of his enemies there at the Diet of Worms. They tell him uh, that he must recant that which he has written, that which he has taught, and that which he has preached. Recant or it will cost you your life. And he gives the most eloquent speech and he ends the speech with these words, well known. He says, here I stand on God's word. Here I stand, I can do no other. Here I stand, we are saved by grace through faith. Here I stand. What prompts a young monk to risk his life by saying such words? Two words. One is obedience to the will and the way of God. And the other is a willingness to sacrifice even his life if needs must be. Obedience and sacrifice for the great ones. No, for all of us. Those two words for a Christian on a Veterans Day. Obedience and sacrifice. There are decisions you and I have to make every single day, maybe five, ten, maybe a hundred decisions, I don't know. And in the course of a lifetime, there are three or four or five huge decisions that one must make that will change the course of that individual's life, their family's life. And when it comes to making uh, such decisions, one prays that the two words... Come forth in one's action. The one word, obedience. And the other word, sacrifice. Whether you're a Christian in high school or on the football team. Or in the fraternity at college or the sorority. Decisions are made all the time. Whether you're the Christian on the commuter train or at work or in the neighborhood or in the family that you've married into or in the country club, decisions have to be made all the time. And the decisions bear those two labels, obedience and sacrifice. I say it four or five times a year. And it's important to hear and to realize and to be reminded of. In all of these years, whenever I baptize an infant or a child, parents take vows. And in essence, the vows they take involve those two words, obedience and sacrifice, because the vows they take pertaining to the child are these vows. I promise before God that I will set a Christian example for them in the words that come out of my mouth and in the deeds that I do in their presence. I promise that I'll pray with and for this child on a daily basis. I will bring them regularly to the services of God's house someplace. And I will provide for their further instruction in the Christian faith. I will do everything that God provides me to bring up this child to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Those vows entail obedience to the will of God and they entail sacrifice in one's life for the sake of that most cherished gift that God will ever give you, that son or that daughter.
Men and women of feeble resolve are never heard. Their witness is as silent as a butterfly's wing. Those with no moral compass, no spiritual or mental backbone, they accomplish nothing in life because they spend their life sitting on the fence, not wanting to offend anyone. Or, if they are not sitting on the fence, they take the road most traveled. Not the road least traveled, they take the road most traveled. They do the thing that everyone else would do. They live for themselves. They stay in the shallow waters. I live for the person I looked at in the mirror. Matthew 25, today's gospel, three parables. Last three that Jesus ever spoke. The final one, parable of sheep and the goats. The middle one, the parable of the talents. How are you going to use the time and the talents that God has given you on this earth? Is it going to be shallow water stuff? Or are you going to go into the deep waters? And if you go into the deep waters, those two words will become a part of your life on a daily basis. The one word, obedience to God. And the other word, sacrifice in that which you need to do. They asked Alexander the Great one day, how'd you conquer the world? He said, by not wavering. By not wavering. The greatest conquest to which a man or woman is called is a conquest to everlasting life. That is one for us by the greatest sacrifice the world shall ever see. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for mankind's sin. And he sacrifices himself on that cross because he's obedient to the will of God. Even in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, he says, Not my will, but thine be done. Obedience to God's will. And the other thing that kept him on that cross was the sacrifice of his life for us. Bibles go so far as to say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Greatest conquest is everlasting life. It is ours by resolve and decision. You say, Pastor, you go too far. By grace are you saved. Indeed we are. And then what's the next verse? Ephesians 2.10. What's the next verse? We are God's workmanship called forth in Jesus Christ to do good works for the kingdom. Philippians 2.12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God himself who gives you desire and the ability to do his will. Obedience and sacrifice. Second greatest conquest a man can have is abundant life on this earth. Everlasting life in heaven, abundant life on this earth. How do you have abundant life on this earth? I'm proud to say to you, if you want abundant life on this earth, two words. Obedience and sacrifice. Dallas Willard, never forget what he wrote, read it some 15 years ago. I've never forgotten it. Think about it fairly often. 
He said, here's a Christian, and he's walking down the path. And as long as he's on the path that God would have him walk, he has abundant life. But as soon as he gets off the path, he's in mud and quicksand. And the longer he stays off that path, the greater does he sink into the mud and quicksand. And as soon as he gets off God's path, he's got chains on him. And the longer he stays off God's path, the greater the chains become. And then uh, Dallas Willard said, the hound of heaven is always after that individual. The hound of heaven. Bible says Satan's a roaring lion. I like to think God roars louder. Because he comes after those who are off the path. Because he loves them so much. He comes after them. When you get to heaven, talk to the prodigal son. When you get to heaven, talk to Zacchaeus. When you get to heaven, talk to Simon Peter. Talk to David. Talk to Moses. Talk to Abraham. Talk to Jonah. There will be hundreds of people in heaven in which you can say, when you got off the path, what happens? And they will say, God came after me. Thief on the cross, God came after me before I breathed my last. Obedience and sacrifice, do we do it? Not often. When we don't do it, sin is involved. And what happens when sin is involved? The man sheds his blood for our forgiveness. And when God forgives, unlike when we forgive, he forgives completely. It is as if the sin never were. And he says, get back up now. And in the next opportunity I present to you, whether it's someone in the hallway there at Sandberg High School, whether it's your locker mate, whether it's someone in the locker room of the football team, When the next opportunity comes, serve me. Caesar did a great thing. Jonah did a great thing. Luther did a great thing. I'm going to tell you, you do a great thing. You do a great thing when you let your light shine before others. And they see your kindness and they give glory to God that at that precise moment when it was most needed, you popped up. You popped up. With a smile or the hug or the act of kindness, you popped up with the word, with the encouragement. You popped up. Matthew 6, three verses in one chapter in which Jesus draws the line. Matthew six nineteen. don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where no one can touch it and you can have God's peace. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't worry about the applause of men down here. Jeremiah nine twenty three. don't worry about your wealth, your power, your strength, your charisma. Don't look at those things and make them your idols. Come to me. Stay on the path. You'll have my peace. Matthew six twenty three. 
No man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one, hate the other, despise the one, be devoted to the other. You can't serve both God and the world. Obedience and sacrifice. You cannot serve both God and the world. Got to be one or the other. Take your pick. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first God's kingdom. Whatever decision you ever have to make today or for the rest of your life, seek first God's kingdom. What would God have me do here? And then you do it. Joshua, Joshua 24. The text at the end of the sermon rather than at the beginning. Joshua 24. Fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your fathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt. Throw away the gods of the Amorites that you are currently worshiping. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. The gods of your forefathers, the gods of the Amorites, or Jehovah God himself. But I'll tell you what, great assembly, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If no one else in this kingdom serves him, we will serve the Lord. They met at Shechem. Uh, They met at Shechem where Joseph's bones were buried. They met at Shechem, this great assembly. Joshua is close to the end of his life. He is very ill. Death is near. He realizes they've defeated the Amorites, but he realizes also that his people are worshiping the idols of the nations they conquered. Why are they worshiping those idols? Because they can see them. He said, you want to worship a God that you can see. You don't want to worship the invisible God. And then Joshua says to them, let me tell you about the God that you can't see. The God that you can't see delivered you from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. The God that you can't see opened up the waters of the Red Sea. The God that you can't see sent manna down from heaven. The God that you can't see brought quail into the camp. The God that you can't see brought water out of the rock at Horeb. The God that you can't see delivered you from the fiery serpents. The God that you can't see delivered you from the enemies all around you that were multiplied a hundred fold over the armies that we had. The God that you say you can't see, you can see him. Have I ever seen God all the time? Ever seen God in your lives all the time with the stories that you tell me about something that happened that the only answer to that something that happened was God himself. The people said, we want a golden calf because we can see the golden calf and we can't see Moses, God. Can you see God all the time? Hebrews eleven six. what pleases God when you believe he's real? When that thing that happened in your life this year, this month, this past day, when that thing that happened, you did not sit and think, that was fate, that was good luck, that was fortune. The first thought you had was that was God. What pleases God when you believe that he's real and that you believe his promises are real? Is not that someone that with the rest of your days on this earth you would want to be obedient to and that you would want to sacrifice for. Is God stronger than peer pressure he ought to be? 
whether you're 17 or 27 or 47 or 67 or 87, is God stronger than peer pressure he ought to be? Choose you this day, Paul Strand, whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Obedience to the will of God. Sacrifice of time, talent, and treasures for his kingdom. And that sacrifice brings great peace and joy to the heart of his children. In our Savior's powerful name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? And when the old man, Joshua, had made his speech, the people said, we will follow God. And Joshua said to them, no, you won't. He said, no, you won't. You're just saying that. No, you won't. And the people paused for a moment, and then they said to Joshua, yes, we will. Because we understand that he opened the waters of the Red Sea, and he gave us man, and he gave us quail. And they went through the entire list that Joshua had gone through, and Joshua knew that they had listened to the words that God had put in his mouth. And the Bible says that to the end of Joshua's days, the people followed God. Obedience and sacrifice, may they be ours. And when we fall, as did all of the great heroes of the faith, for none is perfect save Christ, may we look to you for forgiveness. And may we from our heart, like the prodigal son and Zacchaeus and all the rest, may we from the heart say, God, forgive me. Use me again for your kingdom to serve someone else on this earth. And the people say amen, which means may it be so in my life. In our Lord's name, amen.